Hi, I'm Terry Zabolski, pastor of Grace Community Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I'd like to thank you for listening to this week's message. I hope and trust that God's Word is a blessing to you as you live for Him each and every day. Titled the message this morning, God has a plan. Take your Bible. Let's look at Ecclesiastes chapter three. Uh, some very well-known verses, uh, verses one to fifteen. Where we uh, this is our third message, and I just remind you, you can uh, download any of the messages on the internet. Uh, the CDs are available in the back. The probably the whole series is going to be eight, ten, or twelve messages. You may want to collect all of those as these particularly speak to our culture and to our times that you might make a thorough study of this yourself so that you can put these, these concepts from God's wonderful Word in your own language as you talk to people in school or at the next desk or in the shop or on the basketball court or other places. Uh, God will certainly use that through you. So they're available, uh, they're in the back. See Jen on the CDs. Well, God has a plan. We're going to bite off a smaller chew than last week. Uh, it was a little aggressive trying to do chapter 1 and 2, and you're so patient, and I appreciate that as we laid out that, uh, that message, kind of the introductory to the whole book itself. Well, let's, uh, let's read these verses in, in Ecclesiastes 3, uh, 1 to 15 as then we'll go through and uh, see in detail what God has to say. Uh, Solomon begins by writing, There is a time for everything, a season for every activity under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep, a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What does the worker gain from all his toil? I have seen the burden that God has laid on men. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity into the hearts of men. Yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for men than, than to be happy and to do good while they live that everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all his toil. This, this is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that men will revere him. Whatever is has already been and what will be has been before. God will call the past to account. Well, the title, God Has a, master, a, a Plan, and I should say it's a masterful, masterful plan. 
1960s. Some of you are old enough to remember that, as I. Uh, there was a musical group called The Birds. How many of you remember The Birds? The Birds. And they sang a song entitled, Turn, Turn, Turn. Now, do you remember that? How many of you? Just probably, if you remember The Birds, you remember that. You probably remember that more than some of the hymns, right? Yeah. It's funny how, you know, you get songs in your head, and it plays over and over, and it kind of burns in. It's a reminder, be careful what you think about and what you watch. It's there forever. Well, the bird song uh, was intended to be a war protest song, using Solomon's words here in Ecclesiastes 3. I thought it was a, a good song myself. I didn't really know what they were trying to say at the, that day. But the tune kind of stuck, uh, stuck in my head, and I could still uh, say a lot of the words to it. But I'm um, here to say, and I'm sorry to tell you, they missed the whole meaning. It was not a call for pacifism, turn, 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 turn away from this, and it's protest against the conflict in Southeast Asia there in Vietnam. It had nothing to do with that. And yet, uh, like so many people, fond of dropping into Scripture, yanking it out of context, and making it say whatever you want to say, the birds did just that in that well-known song. Well, God is, has established all the boundaries of the universe. Do you know that? He has established all the boundaries. You ought to think about that. Muse upon it. Things physical and things metaphysical. All things, all boundaries all of them. It's just not, wow, that's interesting that it's all there, all of them. In mathematics, one plus one is still two. It will always be that, even with modern math. The distances, uh, the earth from the sun is 93 million miles. That's just not happenstance. Oh, aren't we lucky? Any further away, we'd freeze to death. Any closer, our blood would boil. We're not lucky. It has nothing to do with that. And the moon is a quarter of a million miles away. And the beauty of the moon and the distance and all that it does with the tidal uh, effect and the scrubbing of the shorelines. We like going to the shore. Who doesn't like going to the beach, right? I have news for you. If God didn't design the, the moon and its uh, gravitational pull twice a day, you would not want to go to Ocean City. It would be the stinkiest, most putrid place. But God has designed the shorelines to be scrubbed twice a day as the tidal effect carries the dead stuff that floats in and otherwise uh, and cares for that. And a little bit of salt purifies that which would be just rancid. All boundaries God has established all of them, geographical ones. It's no wonder the continental movement there after the flood. And here's the Western Hemisphere and the United States. You know, God never said, I didn't know. He knows all things. Why? He's designed all things. He set all the boundaries. In, in uh, chemistry, you learn the, the, uh, the uh, element chart there and all the atomic weights and, and carrot. That's, not, that's, that's like an exact puzzle in the way they combined and balance. God has done all of that. We can study gravitational pull and know that in a vacuum, uh, all objects fall at 32 feet per second squared. 
in gravitational pull. Well, isn't that, isn't that just the mark? God designed that. He establishes all the boundaries. And even in the, the uh, procreation of children, it's very rarely during a month's time that a woman of a certain age is even susceptible to uh, being uh, 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 allowed to be uh, to conceive. And, uh, and the, the way that God has designed the genes and the chromosomes to connect and the personalities, God has designed all of that, all of that. Even in the raising of political leaders, we're going to have a visitation of two would-be uh, Democratic uh, presidential candidates right in our vicinity, about eight miles away. In fact, Tanya's going to go to it. She told me she got tickets. We'll have to hear about that report later down at Messiah College. And, and all that. God has designed the raising up of leaders, not only the highest, but all of them. They're of God's doing. God has done that. Your fingerprints are unique. No one else has them. The design of your retina is unique. God has established all boundaries, all of them. The fact that we have animals and you have a little, little pet, rover, you can pat them on the head. God designed that. That's a fullness and a caveat to life. But we don't eat our pets, do we? We don't. God has designed livestock for that. Aren't you glad? What happened to Rover? <laughs> Did you eat stew last night? No, we don't do that kind of thing. God has designed the little Tweety birds and all that that we enjoy in the spring. I saw some robins. How is it, and that the, how is it that the birds fly south? Who told them that? They don't go to school. How is it that something heavier than air can even fly? It's amazing. This is God's world. Open your eyes and see it. He's established all the boundaries and all the boundaries of your days of your life. And the fact that we live at this point in time, the fact that all of you are here today is no accident. God has designed all of that. It, uh, it would blow our mind to even begin to think about doing a part of that. And that's right. He is great, and we're not. And he has orchestrated all of that. And it's, and it's just one beautiful symphony. We're going to see that God calls it beautiful, though we can't see it. And sometimes it's dark, and it's like a minor key effect. We wonder through tears what God's doing. He has it all worked out to his glory and to his praise. And he worked it out in eternity past, and we live it out in this thing called life. That's the biblical perspective of life and what is, and that is reality. It's not your TV set. It's not the little bit of edited things that the news, I saw the news, I know what's happening. No, you don't. You, you, that you know what someone thought was important, and they showed only enough to make the case. This is reality. This is the world we, this is our Father's world. And we need to come to grips with it. And in the midst of it, God has a great plan. It includes all things, outer space, physical properties of our world. It includes our lives. And in fact, it's even more than that. Every single facet about our lives is included. It's as if God said, this far and no further. Remember Job? Satan accused Job of fearing God because God was good to Job. And God said, okay, you can go this far, no further. Okay, you want more? This far, but no further. God establishes all the boundaries. Now find security and safety in that. Your gifts, your ability, your resources, your time, your days, 
all the details of life. God has orchestrated all that according to the teaching of his words. Boundaries, all boundaries, all of them. It does not matter if you're a man, a woman, or a dandelion. There's a purpose. There's a purpose for your birth, your death, and everything in between. Everything. Well, Solomon is saying this to us in our passage. Do not let what you cannot understand or control destroy what you can enjoy. That's a great message. Don't let what you cannot understand, because you can't. One day we had a men's uh, field trip when we were in Indiana. One of our men was an uh, Air Force Academy graduate and was flying for the guard at that point. We went down to Grissom Air Force Base, and I got to sit in a Warthog, an A-10, right on the tarmac. Boy, that was fun. And uh, Phil was there, and each guy got in. It was a father-son thing we did. And, uh, and we went up there, and we are sitting there, and I said, well, what's this and what's that? And the, uh, the man who was taking care of the plane said, well, I could tell you, but you know the expression. I'd have to kill you then. You know, military, they like that kind of talk, you know. I could tell you, but I could kill Look, listen, God could tell us all that he's doing from beginning to end and all the minutia between, but it wouldn't kill us. We'd still be as, as befuddled and puzzled as ever. You, we, we, you wouldn't get it. You wouldn't. God works on so many planes. We think literally, okay, from here, got to pick up something. We're going to have dinner after this. I got that. You know, we think in these kind of lines and so on. God is working on a multi-level chessboard, if you will. As it all worked out, it's all orchestrated. To the end, is already certain to the praise of his glory. And it's certain. He said, so if I even began to tell you, you're not capable in your gray matter, to even grasp all that I'm doing. Just trust me. And so he's saying to hear us again, don't let what you cannot understand, you can understand it. Or control. You know, we get this idea that I can control this and that. It's an illusion. I plan my day. I told you that. I use a day timer, plan the week, plan the day. You know, pretty well, hour by hour, I, you know, and... I'm here to tell you, uh, I don't think I've ever had one day to work out exactly as I planned. That's a true. It's good to have a plan. You know, if I get the morning face says to me, what are you doing? I I don't have a clue. You know, (laughs) good to have a plan, want to be productive, but life has all sorts of curveballs and surprises. Have you noticed that? Have you? That's life. That's life in the fallen world. Don't let what you cannot understand or what you cannot control destroy what you can enjoy. For God gives us gifts, and they're to be enjoyed. Well, two truths helping us as we make our way through life. This is the prelude. Heaven is the main event. The best is always yet to come. Here in these two truths, Solomon tells us how to live in a world that is uh, out of our control, not his, but our, and where God does not always make sense, and he doesn't. Have you ever wondered, God, why did you allow this to happen to me? I love you. I'm trying to serve you. Why, why this? Have you ever said that? Has anyone not said that, at least to yourself? None of you have said that. 
They'll go, wow, whoa, what's that mean? What's that all about? Get off the phone. Lord, where are you? We've all done that. Through our tears, we go like, wow, wow, it's hard. If, you, if you're in touch with that at all, not in denial, you've asked that very question. Well, the first truth, number one, God does have a purpose in the seemingly weary cycle of life. God has a purpose, for sovereignty has determined all of life's activities. Every event, every event is planned by God, and God does not waver from his plan. Now, you should know that this principle is stated in verse 1. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under, under heaven. By this, and Warren Worsby is right when he writes, all of these that he's going to unfold by illustration, verses 2 to 8, all of these are not merely a description of what happens in life. Time to be born, time to die, time for love, time for hate, time for love. All of these things are not merely a description of life. They're not. They are rather a description of what God has deliberately planned for your life and mine. Okay? It's not just, hey, here it is. It's kind of a shotgun. There it is. That's life. Uh Uh-uh. It's what God has orchestrated and planned. There's not one molecule that moves without the foreordaining power and plan of God. God has planned it all, and it's without waver. He has ordained a time for everything. That's our life. Well, Solomon illustrates this principle with 14 opposites in verses 2 through 8. We've read through them. The birds sang it, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot, and so on. He begins by saying here, this double seven, that's what 14 is. Seven, you know, is the biblical number for completeness. There's a study of biblical numerology. Uh, John Davis and others have written some things on it that the numbers of the body, you get carried away very easily with, you know, 40 days, is, uh, 40 is the number of trouble, Noah, 40 days, it rained 40 nights. But it seems to imply that. But at least the number seven, we're fairly safe on that. Six is the number of man, incidentally. That's the day that God made man. The Antichrist is the uh, satanic uh, incarnation. And uh, uh, 666, Antichrist tripled the number of man. Well, seven is the number of God or the number of completion. Seven days in a week is a completed week. Seven seems to apply that. Well, here it's not arbitrary. God controlling through his spirit and Solomon writing writes a double seven or two, two sevens or 14. And there are 14 uh, opposites that are, are listed for us in this text to show us the utter completeness of life. If seven is the completed in life, a double seven is utter completeness. In other words, this is what life has for us by God's design and purpose. The, or, or, and second, the way it's written in English, some of you will know your English grammar than others, uh, it's a, a grammatical device called a merism. means uh, from this point to this point and all the points between. A time to be born, a time to die, that's a merism, it mean, and it means the totality then, and all the points in between, God has 
has ordained. So that's what he's saying here uh, in describing this ordained time for everything in your life and in mine. It means that there are times of happiness, and don't we love those? The time to have a party, to celebrate, to be silly. You know, you wouldn't want people to see you being silly. <clears throat> we have the, such utter joy with our granddaughter, and, uh, you know, to, if you were to see me laying on a floor, giving her a horsey ride or bow, bouncing around, you'd say, like, that's my dignified pastor. You know, I, I really wouldn't care if you saw it, but it'd be a little embarrassing. But, you know, it's a time of sheer joy, you know, and I, I never knew how much fun it would be. If, it, if I knew it, I we would have done it earlier, right there? We'd, my kids look at me and I scratch my head, what's he talking about? I have no idea. But it's, it's a joyful time. But there are times of sadness, too, are there not? Times of great sadness. There'll come a day when uh, the phone call will come your way and uh, you will, you'll find out that your parents or one of your parents died. And that happened to me, 1983. We'll forget that. I often wondered what had happened and got the call. My mother said, Terry, your dad died this morning. You know, And you're, you're going to have times like that. Maybe your folks are already gone, but it's going to happen. And you're going to weep, and you're going to cry, and you're going to be brokenhearted, and you're going to mourn. There are times of mourning. There are. But here's the good news. Aren't you glad you're not going to mourn forever? You won't. It's season of mourning. And the grace of God and mercy and, and life goes on. Brutally it goes on. When Faithy's dad died, you know, uh, we, we got the call that he died. Paul called me and told me. And uh, the reality is, you know, we are in such grief. And, uh, and yet you look around, people are cutting their grass and People are going on vacation, and life goes on. You go, like, can't, no one stops, you know? And you go, like, uh, it's odd, it's weird, nothing. And it seems upside down, and the lights go out. There are times like that. But it doesn't go down that way forever, does it? Even the most grievous things. Because, you know what, in time, uh, in your job, let's say, <clears throat> you're going to get a promotion, and you're going to have a party. You wondered when your boss was going to finally figure it out that you were worthy of it, and you're going you're to celebrate, and you're going to have times like that as well. There are times of laughter, there's times of joy, there's times of much in between, and there's times of deep and dark sadness in, in life, and you know that, that that's true. These polar opposites point to the totality of life and all the points between them. There are times of happiness and great pain, and yet God has appointed every one of these. Let's, uh, let's hear the words of that great and godly man, Job, who suffered so much and was clueless as to what God was saying. Let's look at Job uh, chapter 14 up on the screen. Man's days, Job writes, man's days are determined. You have decreed the number of his months and have set limits he cannot exceed. So look away from him and let him alone till he has put in his time like a hired man. Well, that's Job. God has ordained all of those. Well, there's a, what, what does he mean then? First of all, in these four, I, can't, I don't have time to make comment on every one of these, but we will make comment on a couple of these. <clears throat> a time to be born and a time to die. God has determined these. It's phenomenal, really. 
Some of you think, uh, I, I think I was born in the wrong family. I look at my brothers and sisters, and I know it. I absolutely know it. <laughs> Lord, help. No, you weren't. You, you weren't. And, uh, and you know what? Nobody asked you. Have you noticed how that works? Uh, Terry, when, you, when would you like to come to earth? You know, no, nobody. Born in 1954, a lot of years ago now. And uh, I arrived, and the funny thing about life is, I don't even remember it. My mother does, <laughs> still tells about it. But, uh, it, you know, I was there, but I don't remember any. God ordained all of it. There it is. He was hatched, so were you. There it is, born. But the other end of it, here on earth, there's a time to die. God has already ordained that. Do you know that? God already knows your funeral day. That's an that's amazing thought. You see, it's just not just arbitrarily, boy, I hope I live a long time, just kind of like, oh, my lucky stars, check my horoscope, and all that nonsense. No. God has ordained this and this, all the boundaries, all of them, all of them. And whether your life is this little or that little, to his glory, he's weaving together a great story to the glory of God. That's what Solomon is teaching us here. And then the, the other, that's almost like a header <clears throat> because the other 13 pairs kind of describe the nuances of life, the ins and outs and the laughter, the joy, the sadness, the gathering, this, you know, all, the, all the things of life. Where he goes on to say uh, this, a time to plant and a time to uproot. God establishes the harvest seasons. They're ordained by him. They are. In our part of the world, don't go out and plant your green beans in January. Your neighbors will wonder about you, but uh, it won't work. It won't work. Your watermelon, nothing will grow. God has established all of that. There's a time to plant, and a time to uproot and harvest, a time to kill. Even these, these activities of men and women seem to be arbitrary and, and of uh, our own choosing. Time to kill could be a just war where a nation uh, rises up against evil, the Hitlers and the like, to, to bring about the end of uh, the Third Reich and others that would have that caused so much in other wars. could be uh, the execution of uh, a murder-one-convicted uh, criminal. A time to kill, time to heal, to mend. Actually, it's the word to sow. Every, even man, uh, man's action, men and women's actions, which seem to be of their own choosing, are even all under God's providence. I remind you, providence is God's government. It's the way he rules through the non-supernatural events. Remember the crossing of the Red Sea? That was God's miraculous event that, uh, that God used that strong east wind, parted, and they crossed on dry ground. That's a miracle. Providence is the normal way that God rules his universe using the laws of nature, of laws of the universe, laws of life that we call laws, and the way they, they unfold, okay? Day after day after day and so on. God's governance rules. Our God reigns, we sing. And that's not a thunderstorm, as the young kids thought when they sang that song. Reigns, R E. I-G-N. He is king. Well, a time to tear down and a time to build up, time to weep and a time to laugh. 
God warns times of laughter and joy. Let's look at Psalm 30. Have you ever learned this? You should memorize this. It says, uh, For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. It's the second part of the verse. Weeping may last, the old version says, Weeping may last for a night, but joy comes in, a, in the morning. You see, we don't, we don't go in a corner and cry forever because God in time will replace that with laughter. God warrants times of laughter. I know there, there was an attitude where if you're spiritual, you don't laugh. That's crazy. God would not have built us with the capacity for laughter if it was somehow evil. Now, a lot of humor is sinful. You know, and the uh, uh, comics and, 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 the, and the comedians and all that, they twist it, and a lot of it's sexual, not, you know, in the way, and th- that's, okay, that's out of bounds. But God gave us the capacity to laugh and to rejoice and to enjoy life. We're grateful for that. I talked to a, a woman this past summer. Uh, she was at a wedding that I performed down in Maryland, and uh, her husband died very unexpectedly, uh, oh, I think it was about 18 months earlier. And she was a mess. And I tried to encourage her. She's a girlfriend that Faithy grew up with down the street. I tried to encourage her to let that go. I talked to her about Christ and was she truly a, a Christian. And if she was, that she needed to get on with her life, trusting God and not allow the, the deep mourning and the sorrow of losing her husband so suddenly. And they, uh, that she just couldn't function anymore. She was nearly at that point and told her we would pray for her. I trust that one day God will bring the sunshine out in her life and that she'll find joy and happiness. There's a time to weep and a, a time to laugh. There's a time for mourn. There's a time to dance. I mean, dancing is, uh, if, if, if laughter is the expression verbally of joy in our life, dancing or this just just being so prancing around uh, with our whole body expresses exuberance of the joy. I think of my dear daughter's uh, wedding was a time of sheer joy. And some of you will remember that. And I'll never forget that and the joy of that. Well, there's a time to scatter s- stones and time to gather them up, time to embrace and to refrain, a time to search and time to give up. To search means there's hope. There's hope. There's hope. A woman searched for a lost coin. Remember that? And then she found it. She called her friends and had a great banquet. But there's a time where we, we have no hope. And we, and, uh, and we give up at that point. A time to keep and a time to throw away. Some of you are, are great in, in never throwing anything away, right? Bob, you're like that. Wanda told me. And that and that's your, it could be your life first right there. To horror of Wanda, you know, time to keep. <laughs> oh, I may need this someday. And there it goes. It goes into storage, right? My father was like that. It must be the old German, you know. He just, it must be. Yeah, he had, we had renovated the house. He had, he had commodes and everything in the garage attic and everything else. And I mean, stuff was everywhere. He said, you never know when you may need it, you know. <laughs> well, when my father died very unexpectedly, 
my mother dealt with anger because she, my mother would get something and pitch it. She was like faith. Boom, you know. <laughs> and she had to hoe all that stuff out and uh, get rid of it. And she, she really dealt with some anger with the Lord. You should have seen it. Between the uh, sidewalk and the curb, if you went by the Zabolski house when my mother finally, I mean, there were toilets, sinks, DeWalt, radio arm saws, tools. I mean, it was, it was like half the city came over there. <laughs> like ants carried it all away. Unbelievable. And I said, Mom, he gave, gave away good stuff to I don't care. I want it out of here. She really dealt with that. The Lord brought her through that. I'm glad to say <laughs> Good thing that she didn't think that about one of her seven kids. Yeah, you're out there too, you know. <laughs> well, there it is. The time to throw it. Time to tear. Probably refers to mourning again. Uh, it, was a, it was a custom in that day. When you got news of a death or deep sorrow, you took your garment and you ripped the front of it. It was a sign to let folks know that you were in deep sorrow and mourning. And then when the mourning would pass after a period of time, typically a month they would take, then you'd sew up your clothing again and, and mend it. A time to be silent, time to speak, time, a time to love. God has designed that. And a time to hate. God has orchestrated all of these from this point to this point and all the points between in our lives. A time for war and a time a time for peace. God balances the ingredients of, of all of our lives. And it's the mixture of all of these things. It's difficult to interpret God's action in the short term. This is life. Times of happiness and times of sadness and pain. It's the whole mix. Well, see, the reality is, in verse 9, we do not know from moment to moment what life will bring. That's what he says. Again, he repeats from Ecclesiastes 1.3, what does the worker gain or what profit from all his work, from all his activity, from all his toil? That's what he's saying. It seems so weary. It's so burdensome. Well, the answer is that all of life lies or unfolds under the appointment of God's sweet providence, his governance, his orchestrating of all things. God has a purpose. That's what he's saying to us in all of these 14 polar opposites in the totality of life. You can't know, nor I, what will happen in the next moment of time. You could get in your car and drive home after having been here at worship and hearing the Word of God and be run over and killed by a semi-truck. It can happen. It can happen. That when I was a kid growing up, there was a godly couple, and uh, they always kept their Bible right on the dashboard of their car. I must have been in ninth grade. And the sad report was they went home. On the way home from church, they were run into and killed. It was a terrible time in the church, a lot of weeping. And their Bible, they found their Bible. And I remember Pastor uh, Wilhite <clears throat> had the Bible that had been in their car was all marked up, and he used that for the funeral. I thought that was really, really wonderful. I'll never forget seeing that <coughs> terrible thing, husband and wife killed like that. You cannot know whether you're, the next phone call is going to be absolutely a, uh, joyful and an answer to prayer. You cannot know. God has not given that to us to know. 
but he knows, he has a plan, and it includes all things. It's all under his governance. That's what Solomon is telling us in all these ingredients of life, that God balances this together. Well, the second truth, not only does God have a purpose in this weary cycle of life, or so it seems, but the second truth helping you and helping me make our way through this journey of life is this, that found in verses 10 to 15, that God's beautiful but puzzling world is too big for us, yet its satisfactions are too small. What do we mean by that? The world is too big for us and all that's in it for us to get our arms around it to understand it all. It's too big. It's beyond us. I can't even understand calculus. And the Lord's saying, well, what is that? That's nothing. To some of you, it's, you know, you got a handle on it. The rest of us are still in the dark on that. That's nothing. The world is too big. You can't. Try as you will, and we do. You cannot figure it all out. He has a plan, and he keeps it from us. But second, the things that are in the world, if you go after those things to find meaning, pleasure, and satisfaction, at the end of the day, they'll never satisfy. Never. You get a momentary pleasurable bump, and that's it. And you'll, like last week, we looked at the song, uh, the lyrics, is that all there is in life? Is that all there is to love? Is that all there is to a circus? And you end up with that. There's got to be more. So the world is big, and God's great world can't get your arms around, but second, the things in the world will never satisfy you with the, with the yearning that's deep within your heart. That's what he's telling us in these verses. God has given us the desire to know how all of life fits together. We yearn to know that. We're hungry to know that, but we're incapable of knowing it. It is beyond us. Only our, our only recourse is to trust him completely. Let me stop here. Uh, if uh, some of the great schools in our country... And Jim went down to Georgia to watch their, their uh, spring football uh, season down there uh, the other day. And, and some of you like Penn State and other schools, right? Uh, today, if uh, these great schools were in existence, we thought, well, how are we going to name them? They would never have the name that they have today. That comes from a former day. What is the name? University. They would never be called universities. When the university system began way back, and we trace that back to uh, Oxford and Cambridge University. There were a series of colleges uh, that uh, came together, and uh, it was the pursuit of the one thing that bonds it all together, the universe. Hear the word one there? Una is one. People in modern day no longer believe in any such thing. Everything is segmented. Nothing is related. There is no great universal... uh, uh, principle or truth that ties it all together. Back in that day, they were seeking God in who is the author of all truth and all knowledge, and whether it was biology or economics or history or education or health, it didn't matter. Engineering, it was all related to the oneness, and they were all related. Today, because of walking away from God and His Word, there's no sense of any unity whatsoever. And so I say Penn State University would not be called Penn State 
university, it would probably be Penn State diversity or diversity of Georgia. There you go, Jim. The Bulldogs down there. And Georgia Tech, right, Jim? Or do you take Kentucky? Which do you, or Louisville? Which? Louisville. Oh, both. There you go. Remember me in November. Huh? Not Kentucky. Oh, not Kentucky. Okay. So it wouldn't be, it would be uh, the diversity, I guess, of, of Kentucky, not the university. Well, well, A, though life in our fallen world is hard, let's read our text. Look at verse 10. I've seen the burden God has laid on men. Remember, that's the children of Adam. It's referring to living life after Genesis 3. The burden God has laid on men. He has made everything beautiful. God has made everything beautiful in its time. He has set eternity into the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Let's stop at that point. Though life in our fallen world is hard, and it is, God has made all events and all relationships beautiful. That's how Romans 8.28. But we know that, that uh, God works together all things, together for the good, to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. Good. They're beautiful. God has done it. Everything uh, as it has come from the Creator, Genesis 1, was good. You can read that over and over again. Day one, good. God saw everything, good. God saw everything, good. God, very good. Good. Beautiful. And uh, all that God does is that way. At times, life doesn't seem to be beautiful to us. It doesn't. But when, we see, but, but when seen as parts of the whole work of God, they are beautiful. Even the tearful, sorrowful, valley experiences they're beautiful as God weaves that all together. But only God sees the whole. We only see the parts. Only he sees it. We don't. Tommy Nelson writes, the parts of our lives that don't feel right at the time are woven together by God to form a beautiful tapestry. God's plan is wise, and we must trust him. We must absolutely trust him. The other illustration that, that really makes it, uh, to me, is, uh, is a piano. I took uh, uh, piano lessons. I had to do that when I was a kid, five years. I took piano, second grade to seventh grade. Imagine that. I can, I can find middle C and some other things. But uh, my father read one day that the smarter kids take musical lessons. My kids will all play two instruments. He made that. I remember when that edict came down. And went out and bought a piano, and, and we, <laughs> we had to take lessons and play. I, had, I played the guitar and the piano, and each one of the seven uh, played, played two instruments. Something about the piano. You know, if you play all the white keys, it's very boring. It's plain. It's, you can play Jesus Loves Me, if you're good at it and know how to do it, with all the white keys. It's bland. You need the black keys, the sharps and the flats. But if you just play the, those, it sounds uh, uh, a dissonance. It's kind of irritating. It's, 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 you, you know what? It's, it's that minor uh, key effect. You play all the white ones, like, I want all the days to be pleasant. You know what? That would never, that would never do it. All the white, you'd be bland and boring. You'd be out of your mind. 
But it's not all the blackies either. It's not all the sharps and the flats. Boy, you couldn't take that. But it's when it's all put together with the white keys and the black keys, the, the melody is beautiful. And in a small way, that's what God is doing in our life as he weaves together all the parts of it for his glory. And you can't figure it out. In fact, you don't know moment to moment what's going to happen next. And all we can do is, like Peter, keep our eyes fixed on him. That's it. And trust him. That's it. That's it. Well, B, man yearns deeply to trace the providential dealings of God, but we cannot do it. That's what he's saying here. He's made everything beautiful in its time. It's good. It's beautiful. He has set eternity. This is like one of the key verses in the whole book, 311. He has set eternity into your heart, the hearts of men and women. Yet, they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. You cannot know. You're not capable of knowing. And you know what? When things happen and you want to know, God will not tell you. He won't. He won't. You yearn to know. Job yearned to know. Lord, tell me. Oh, if someone would just come and arbitrate here. Oh, God, where are you? If I could just have a hearing. Job was completely in the dark. Now, we're glad for that book because it certainly helps us. Oh, and incidentally, the book of Job is a very good companion book with the book of Ecclesiastes. I meant to say that in earlier weeks. They go hand in hand. One is the life story lived out. The other one lays out the principle of life in the fallen world. You cannot know. Even though we may yearn and deeply desire to know that, we can't. Only God has it all figured out. And here's the greatest thing, and if you remember nothing else, remember this. The most tragic thing that ever happened in human history, the most tragic thing I say to you, was one day when, when men took the Lord Jesus Christ, God in flesh, tore his beard out, beat him and bludgeoned him, and hatefully nailed him to the cross, hung between heaven and earth for six hours that one day there on Mount Calvary. I say it was the most tragic, the most wicked, it was the, most, it was the greatest case of injustice that human history has ever known. It was the most wicked, most vile thing. And you say, when you look at that, could anything good come out of that bad? And I say to you, it was only God who could, out of that most horrendous thing, bring the final end to sin and death and eternal life and bring about the greatest possible good that was ever brought out of it. And that in itself encapsulates what Solomon is saying. That as God weaves all this together and we stand there and we look at Christ at the cross now we know more than at that moment of time. We go like, Can, where is God? And could anything good come out of this? And I say to, the, to each one of you, in all of your sorrow and tears and trouble, you have never suffered like that. And if God is able and did bring the greatest single good that ever, ever came about out of that horrible act of injustice, just think on a lesser scale what he's weaving together in your life and mine through our tears and sorrow and brokenness, and we stand there and go like, Lord, I didn't think you were going to do this, Lord. Wow. And yet we yearn to know, don't we? 
and see life and all its goods and the sweet gifts are from the hands of God. Look at 12 and following. I know that there's nothing better for men than to be happy and to do good while they live, that everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all his toil. This, this is a gift of God. It's God's gift. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Let's, let's look at that. Look at C. Life in all its goods, life in all the gifts that God gives to us are sweet gifts from Him. Life will remain a puzzle and frustration until men and women come to trust God. Doesn't mean that God will take us into the back room and even someday say, you know, this is what I was doing there. He owes us no explanation. He is God and we are not. He's the potter, we're the clay. But the only way that it begins to have rhyme and reason is we trust Him and come to Him by saving faith. Maybe you're here and you've never trusted Christ. Life seems like the writers or the musicians or those sensitive describe it as a sick joke in a fallen world and it ends in death. And it seems that way. Maybe it is that you need to, to trust Christ and be saved. You can do that today, you know, incidentally. You can be born again today. Don't let the day pass without calling on the name of the Lord and being saved. You must trust Him. For it is God who alone enables us to find enjoyment and satisfaction in this life. Only He. Well, God's plan is sure, verses 14 and 15, and His purposes are unchangeable. You can't change it, nor can I. And can I say it? It's not like a football game. There's no audible at the line. God's not there under the center, and He looks at the defensive formation. Whoa, I didn't know they were going to have a 5-4 and... uh, and uh, two, two uh, D-backs there, we better change the play. Never happened, never will. It's certain. You can't change it, nor can I. And that's what Solomon is saying in 14 and 15. So I say to you, indeed, how are we to live in this live life in this fallen world of ours? How do we do it? How? God does things in our lives that are not pleasing or pleasurable, but they are wise. Even bad things have a purpose. They're his purpose. How do we do it? Number one, know that God's plan is wise. It's beautiful. It's like that piano I mentioned. It's like Joseph. Remember our study a year ago? We studied the person of Joseph. Remember that? God's plan is wise. Aren't you glad to know that? When we can't see it, that there's a plan, he's wise. Joseph was uh, told by God that uh, his brothers would bow before him and he would care for them and all the rest. And uh, that was uh, quite a route to get to that point. He was uh, almost killed by his brothers. He was sold into uh, slavery. He was thrown into prison. He was bought, worked in Potiphar's house, was thrown into prison, was forgotten. And finally the day came. When uh, at God's appointed time, the God who sets all the boundaries, orchestrates all things, Joseph was remembered in prison and brought forth. What a day that was. I think that was the title of my message. What a day. He went from the bottom to second in command in one day, and God's able to do that. And then the brothers finally in time came before him and discovered that uh, that's our brother. 
He's the prime minister of Egypt, the greatest nation on the face of the earth. And they were afraid after their dad died. Maybe he's going to get us now. I'll never forget Genesis 50-20. And we should show that up here now. Look at 50-20. Joseph said to his brothers, look, you intended to harm me. You did. But God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You intended it for harm or for bad. But God intended it for good. See, God's governance, he overlays even the effects of men and women that would harm us and do ill. God has a way of working all the way through all of that, weaving together this great tapestry that he's already ordained. I'm saying to you, how do we live in this world? Know that God is all-wise and his plan is wise. In fact, it's beautiful. Number two, Know that God's plan is mysterious. Maybe you like to read mysteries. I hope you don't read the end before you work your way through. Or if somebody tells you the end before you get there. Have you ever had that happen with a book? Oh, thanks a lot. God's plan is mysterious. You can't control it. You can't understand it. God has curveballs, true surprises. It's mysterious. At times we squint to see if we can see it, but we can't see it. God owes us no answers. He is God and we are not, and we have to trust him. You ever go rappelling? I did that a number of years ago. Rappelling is a funny thing. You stand at the cliff and you look down. We were at Spruce Lake and, and, uh, with, the, with the kids at that point, and you look down over the side of it, how many of you repelled? Maybe I'm telling this. Okay, one, two. Oh, not too many. It's a funny thing. You, you have to be careful who's holding your rope. <laughs> they can't be, you know, if it's friend or foe and you're not sure, they don't handle your rope. I mean, they're holding you. Because when you, you're all got your harness in and you grab the rope and you jump and you're going down the face of that cliff, they're you have total trust in them. And they, you better, you better be tight, you know, <laughs> tight with them. Well, that's sort of life. It, I mean, it's mysterious. It is. There, there is mystery. Know that our God is mysterious. One great old writer put the, um, uh, well, he, he did write something. It escapes me at the moment. <laughs> The footprint of the divine is filled with mystery. Yeah, that's it. Just about it. Sort of, sort of. It is. Our God is mysterious. But when we, when we jump off and repel, we know he's holding it. And I'm glad for that. And we need to trust him for that. Number three, enjoy life. How do we live? Enjoy life. Enjoy it. We heard uh, Tommy Nelson, that great preacher down in Texas at the Moody Bible Conference. I was telling Bev and Paul, I'd never heard him preach. I'd never read anything he wrote. And we had a great time listening to Tommy preach. And uh, I've got some of his books and read it and have read them recently. And uh, uh, he makes me laugh. Enjoy life. He said, the way you do it is uh, go out and get uh, two scoops of Rocky Road ice cream. Your pastor told you to do it. Look. Someday, someday, you're going you're gonna to get a bad report from the doctor. He's going to look at a chart. 
And he's going to look up at you, and he's going to look down at down. He's going to mention the C word, and then all of a sudden your hair is going to fall. That's going to happen. That's not the day, probably, for most of you. So go get some ice cream. You're going to have a root canal. Tommy writes, it's certain. Most of you are going to have it. You might as well call the dentist now and make an appointment. It's going to happen. But it's not today. Rejoice and be happy. God has given you the gift of today. Enjoy it. Sometimes evangelical Christians, we're a little starchy. We just like, well, we can't laugh too much because that's unspiritual. You know, we can't have too much fun because, uh, you know, enjoy the day. That's what he's saying here. Be happy. Rejoice. Today is a gift of God. And God is pleased when we enjoy his gifts. Enjoy today. Enjoy it. Relax and honor him. Don't allow life's troubles to rob you of God's intention for you to enjoy life. Don't think that somehow you're not allowed to. This is God's gift, and it is a sweet gift. So go have two scoops of Rocky Road. Get together with some friends. Reminisce about the great old days, right? They were never as great. But we, you know, you forget and you exaggerate. Isn't that great? Get together with friends. Guys, get together with friends. Talk about your high school days. How you, how you clobbered that other team and whatever else. Or this or that. Why? Because you have today. Enjoy it. It's a gift from God. Like salvation is a gift. Today is a gift. That's what he's telling you. There's a great message from this book. And finally, for rest in God's sovereignty. Rest. Rest in it. A lot of people that are troubled by that say, that sounds like Calvin, John Calvin. I got news for you. Solomon was a Calvinist before John Calvin ever lived, right? <laughs> Rest in the sovereignty of God. He reigns. He has a plan and a purpose. It's all-encompassing and includes all the details of your life and mine. To God be the glory. It shouldn't trouble you. It should give you comfort, this sovereignty of God. Rest. He is in charge. You can't take care of yourself. You can't. You say, well, I'm going to be real careful. I'm going to look around every step I take like this, right? You're going to, nothing's going to happen. While you're looking like that, something's going to fall out of the sky. I read that. Stuff discharging from airplanes, going through people's houses. <laughs> That'll mess up your day, wouldn't it? You can't. You cannot do it. You can't. God is in charge. Rest. It's a wonderful pillow for a weary life in a troublesome day. Rest in God's sovereignty. Well, quickly, lessons for a life. Number one, uh, for you to really enjoy life now and in the future, you must be saved from the penalty of your sin. The wrath of God abides. There's a heaven to gain. There's a hell to avoid. If you are not saved, every man and woman ever born is born headed to hell. It's not my idea. It's the clear teaching of God's Word. And it's forever and ever, and you'll never get out of it. And death seals it. Today is the day of salvation. You must be born again. Call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. In a simple prayer, even at your seat, by your bed tonight, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner Please forgive me for my sin. Thank you for dying in my place, my sin substitute. You paid the price that I might be delivered. You pray that way, you'll be saved. And if I can help you in that, I would love to do that.
number one. Number two, each day is a gift, is God's gift to you. Enjoy it. Trust God. Have fun. Don't worry about what's coming. The day is sufficient for itself. Jesus said that in the Sermon on the Mount. Say, well, I can't enjoy today because who knows what tomorrow will bring. So what? You don't know. And in fact, the Lord could come. Why worry about that? Live each day to its fullest. Rejoice and be glad. If you have a smile on your face and a song in your heart, half the world is going to wonder about you. They will. But you know, it becomes a great opportunity to talk about uh, the Lord and how God has saved you and given you hope. How do you like to be without hope in this world, without Christ? Paul writes in Ephesians. We are people that are hope, hopeful, blessed. We have the blessed hope and the joy of the Lord in our heart. Number three, life is a puzzle. Life's a puzzle. You like putting puzzles together? You like the thousand-piece puzzle, right? Life's a puzzle, and you'll never be able to put it all together. You won't. God alone knows, and he's up to it, and he'll finish it to his glory, and it's beautiful. It's good. Whatever God does is good. As he mixes the sorrows and the tears and the joys of life and orchestrates all of that, only he knows. It's his tapestry. It's a puzzle. Number four, know that God has determined all the boundaries of life, all of them in your life, all of them, your family, your abilities, your resources, your jobs, All of it, where you live, the fact that you speak English, most of you do, (laughs) all the boundaries, and even your death day, your birthday, and all the days between. Wow, that's our God. And to think less of him is to have an idol, because it's not the God who is. He's great, truly great. Number five and last, God has given each of us enough time and talent and treasure to do what he wants us to do. There is a time. 24 times he tells us, there's a time, there's a time, there's a time. He gives each one of us enough time every day and in our life. Time and the ability or talent and the resources or treasure to do what he's made us to do to his glory. Praise the Lord. I'm telling you that God has a time. To his glory. Well, that's why I say to you, the musical group, the birds, were all wet. Had nothing to do with ending the war in Vietnam. But it did have everything to do with glorifying God, who is really great and awesome and is up to something marvelous and beautiful. 